0: what the negro was thinking during the 18th century essay on negro slavery number 1 by fellow a free negro living in baltimore may 10th 1788 in the journal of negro history edited by carter g woodson this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org Read by Wayne Cook Amidst the infinite variety of moral and political subjects proper for public commendation, it is truly surprising that one of the most important and affecting should be so generally neglected. An encroachment on the smallest civil or political privilege shall fan the enthusiastic flames of liberty till it shall extend over vast and distant regions and violently agitate a whole continent. But the cause of humanity shall be basely violated, justice shall be wounded to the heart, and national honor deeply and lastingly polluted. And not a breath or murmur shall arise to disturb the prevailing quiescence, or to rouse the feelings of indignation against such general, extensive, and complicated iniquity. To what cause are we to impute this frigid silence, this torpid indifference, this cold, inanimated conduct of the otherwise warm and generous Americans? Why do they remain inactive amidst the groans of injured humanity, the shrill and distressing complaints of expiring justice, and the keen remorse of polluted integrity? Why do they not rise up to assert the cause of God and the world to drive the fiend injustice into remote and distant regions, and to exterminate oppression from the face of the fair fields of America. When the United Colonies revolted from Great Britain, they did it upon this principle, quote, that all men are by nature and of right ought to be free. Quote. After a long, successful, and glorious struggle for liberty, during which they manifested the firmest attachment to the rights of mankind, Can they so soon forget the principles that then governed their determinations? Can Americans, after the noble contempt they expressed for tyrants, meanly descend to take up the scourge? Blush, ye revolted colonies, for having apostatized from your own principles. Slavery, in whatever point of light it is considered, is repugnant to the feelings of nature and inconsistent with the original rights of man. It ought, therefore, to be stigmatized for being unnatural, and detested for being unjust. Tis an outrage to providence, and an affront offered to Divine Majesty, who has given to man his own peculiar image, that the Americans, after considering the subject in this light, after making the most manly of all possible exertions in defense of liberty, after publishing to the world the principle upon which they contended, that is, that all men are by nature and of right ought to be free, should still retain in subjection a numerous tribe of the human race merely for their own private use and emolument, is, of all things, the strongest inconsistency, the deepest reflection on our conduct and the most abandoned apostasy that ever took place since the almighty fiat spoke into existence this habitable world. So flagitious a violation can never escape the notice of a just creator whose vengeance may be now on the wing to disseminate and hurl the arrows of destruction. In what light can the people of Europe consider America after the strange inconsistency of her conduct? Will they not consider her as an abandoned and deceitful country? In the hour of calamity she petitioned heaven to be propitious to her cause. Her prayers were answered. Heaven pitied her distress, smiled on her virtuous exertions, and vanquished all her afflictions. The ungrateful creature forgets this timely assistance, no longer remembers her own sorrows, but basely commences oppression in her turn beware america pause and consider the difference between the mild effulgence of approving providence and the angry countenance of incensed divinity the importation of slaves into america ought to be a subject of the deepest regret to every benevolent and thinking mind and one of the greatest defects in the federal system is the liberty it allows on this head venerable in everything else It is injudicious here, and it has to be much deplored that a system of so much political perfection should be stained with anything that is an outrage to human nature. As a door, however, is open to amendment, for the sake of distressed humanity, of injured national reputation, and the glory of doing so benevolent a thing, I hope some wise and virtuous patriot will advocate the measure and introduce an alteration in that pernicious part of the government. So far from encouraging the importation of slaves and countenancing that vile traffic in human flesh, the members of the late Continental Convention should have seized the happy opportunity of prohibiting forever this cruel species of reprobated villainy. That they did not do so will forever diminish the luster of their other proceedings, so highly extolled and so justly distinguished for their intrinsic value. Let us for a moment contrast the sentiments and actions of the Europeans on this subject with those of our own countrymen. In France, the warmest and most animated exertions are making in order to introduce the entire abolition of the slave trade. And in England, many of the first characters of the country advocate the same measure with an enthusiastic philanthropy. The Prime Minister himself is at the head of that society, and nothing can equal the ardor of their endeavors but the glorious goodness of the cause. Will the Americans allow the people of England to get the start of them in acts of humanity? Forbid it! Shame! the practice of stealing or bartering for human flesh is pregnant with the most glaring turpitude and the blackest barbarity of disposition. For can any one say that this is doing as he would be done by? Will such a practice stand the scrutiny of this great rule of moral government? Who can, without the complicated emotions of anger and impatience, suppose himself in the predicament of a slave? Who can bear the thoughts of his relatives being torn from him by a savage enemy, carried to distant regions of the habitable globe, never more to return, and treated there as the unhappy Africans are in this country? Who can support the reflection of his father, his mother, his sister, or his wife, perhaps his children, being barbarously snatched away by a foreign invader without prospect of ever beholding them again? Who can reflect upon their being afterwards publicly exposed to sale, obliged to labor with unwearied assiduity, and because all things are not possible to be performed by persons so unaccustomed to robust exercise, scourged with all the rage and anger of malignity until their unhappy carcasses are covered with ghastly wounds and frightful contusions? Who can reflect on these things when applying the case to himself without being chilled with horror at circumstances so extremely shocking yet hideous as this concise and imperfect description is of the suffering sustained by many of our slaves it is nevertheless true and so far from being exaggerated falls infinitely short of a thousand circumstances of distress which have been recounted by different writers on the subject, and which contribute to make their situation in this life the most absolutely wretched and completely miserable that can possibly be conceived. In many places in America, the slaves are treated with every circumstance of rigorous inhumanity, accumulated hardship, and enormous cruelty. Yet, when we take them from Africa, we deprive them of a country which God hath given them for their own, as free as we are and as capable of enjoying that blessing. Like pirates, we go to commit devastation on the coast of an innocent country and among a people who never did us wrong. An insatiable, avarice desire to accumulate riches, cooperating with the spirit of luxury and injustice, seems to be the leading cause of this peculiarly degrading and ignominious practice. Being once accustomed to subsist without labor, we become soft and voluptuous, and rather than afterwards forego the gratification of our habitual indolence and ease, we countenance the infamous violation and sacrifice at the shrine of cruelty all the finer feelings of elevated humanity. Considering things in this view, There surely can be nothing more justly reprehensible or disgusting than the extravagant finery of many country people's daughters. It hath not been at all uncommon to observe as much gauze, lace, and other trappings on one of those country maidens as hath employed two or three of her father's slaves for twelve months afterwards to raise tobacco to pay for. Tis an ungrateful reflection that all this frippery and affected finery can only be supported by the sweat of another person's brow, and consequently only by lawful rapine and injustice. If these young females could devote as much time from their amusements as would be necessary for reflection, or was there any person of humanity at hand who could inculcate the indecency of this kind of extravagance, I am persuaded that they have hearts good enough to reject with disdain the momentary pleasure of making a figure in behalf of the rational and lasting delight of contributing by their forbearance to the happiness of many thousand individuals. In Maryland, where slaves are treated with as much lenity as perhaps they are anywhere, their situation is to the last degree ineligible. They live in wretched cots, that scarcely secure them from the inclemency of the weather, sleep in the ashes or on straw, wear the coarsest clothing, and subsist on the most ordinary food that the country produces. In all things they are subject to their master's absolute command and, of course, have no will of their own. Thus circumstanced they are subject to great brutality and are often treated with it. In particular instances they may be better provided for in this state but this suffices for a general description. But in the Carolinas and the island of Jamaica, the cruelties that have been wantonly exercised on those miserable creatures are without a precedent in any other part of the world. If those who have written on the subject may be believed, it is not uncommon there to tie a slave up and whip him to death. On all occasions, impartiality in the distribution of justice should be observed The little state of Rhode Island has been reprobated by other states for refusing to enter into measures respecting a new general government, and so far it is admitted that she is culpable. But if she is worthy of blame in this respect, she is entitled to the highest admiration for the philanthropy, justice, and humanity she hath displayed respecting the subject I am treating on. She hath passed an act, prohibiting the importation of slaves into that state and forbidding her citizens to engage in the iniquitous traffic. So striking a proof of her strong attachment to the rights of humanity will rescue her name from oblivion and bid her live in the good opinion of distant and unborn generations. Slavery unquestionably should be abolished, particularly in this country, because it is inconsistent with the declared principles of the American Revolution. The sooner, therefore, we set about it, the better. Either we should set our slaves at liberty immediately and colonize them in the Western Territory, or we should immediately take measures for the gradual abolition of it, so that it may become a known and fixed point that, ultimately, universal liberty in these United States shall triumph. This is the least we can do in order to evince our sense of the irreparable outrages we have committed, to wipe off the odium we have incurred, and to give mankind a confidence again in the justice, liberality, and honor of our national proceedings. It would not be difficult to show, were it necessary, that America would soon become a richer and a more happy country, provided the step was adopted that corrosive anguish of persevering in anything improper, which now embitters the enjoyments of life, would vanish as the mist of a foggy morn doth before the rising sun, and we should find as great a disparity between our present situation and that which would succeed it, as subsists between a cloudy winter and a radiant spring. Besides, our lands would not then be cut down for the support of a numerous train of useless inhabitants, useless I mean to themselves, and effectually to us, by encouraging sloth and voluptuousness among our young farmers and planters, who might otherwise know how to take care of their money, as well as how to dissipate it. In all other respects, I conceive them to be as valuable as we are, as capable of worthy purposes and to possess the same dignity that we do in the estimation of providence, although the value of their work apart for which we are dependent on them, we generally consider them as good for nothing, and accordingly treat them with greatest neglect. But be it remembered that this cause is the cause of heaven, and that the Father of them, as well as of us, will not fail at a future settlement to adjust the account between us with a dreadful attention to justice. What the Negro Was Thinking During the Eighteenth Century Essay on Negro Slavery number 1 by Othello, a free Negro living in Baltimore May tenth, 1788 in The Journal of Negro History edited by Carter G. Woodson.